Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. This is Philosophy versus Improv, where two sages try to teach each other a thing or two, and maybe you, the audience, get something out of it as well. I'm Mark Linsenwire, a philosophy doer, who today is doing improv. And I'm Bill Arnett, an improv doer who is doing philosophy. That was awkward. And our special guest today, introduce yourself. I'm Barry Lamb. I don't do any improv. I do some philosophy. I teach philosophy at Vassar College, and I also make the High Nation philosophy podcast for Slate. Very cool. Fancy, fancy, institutional. Would you say you're a sellout? When I say I'm a sellout, I've tried really hard to sell out. So I don't know if, <laughs> yeah. if like your goal is selling out. I have you really tried hard to sell out, out too. I've not, it's yeah. not a One thing I've learned though, I set myself the goal of selling out that is getting on a major label. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. In, in the podcasting sense. And once you're there, you just realize like it wasn't any different because I wanted to own everything that I made, right? And so I was like, okay, yeah, so like you'll learn everything. And so at the end of the day, it was just like, you keep making this thing. And if we could sell ads, we take 30%. That was selling out. Yeah. yeah. Right. Cause they actually didn't do anything else for me and which they could, but then they'll be like, well, how about giving us your show? Doesn't it <laughs> appear on the pages of Slate? Yeah, it does. It does appear. And, and you know, I, I like them, but you know, occasionally if they'll ask me to write like a article or an op-ed or something, that's cool. So it's like a curation. One of my podcasts, I, cause my brother-in-law owns openculture.com. And so he, oh, really? Lets, he lets me put up posts. And so oh, I now love open culture. We are, yeah. we are, but he doesn't have to do it. You know, he doesn't have to pay us. We don't pay him. It's just a matter. He lets me bother to do that. So well, open culture, <laughs> the whole spirit of it is like everything's free and we'll just direct you to free stuff. Right. So how can you possibly sell out? Yeah. Hard to monetize. Boo. Boo. I say, but in some possible world, see, I'm transitioning here. Yeah. 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 Because <laughs> our topic today that you brought on, because in the latest season of your show, you devoted Four episodes to Mr. David Lewis, who I've covered on Partially Examined Life. Bill, have you heard that name, David Lewis? It's a common first and, and last name in the Western world, but I don't know the one you're referring to. Let's just say that. <laughs> Maybe it's an it's, alias. It, Maybe he was given it by witness protection. Yeah it's, yeah. So, it's so common. It's one of the theories of why he's not famous. You can be Ludwig Wittgenstein and be famous, but you can't be David Lewis. <laughs> yeah. He needs to be D. Lewis. That's right. Or D. Lou. I think we should call him Delu for the remainder of this, but we don't even care. So on this, on this show, we can put the name out there, but I will refer folks to here four hours, let's say rounding up of content about this man's life. But the thing that he is famous for in philosophy is for talking about possible worlds. Bill, what's your, what do you think of when I say that? Like Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness. Not going to lie. You know, some of the physics things around. Each decision makes a whole other universe where that decision happened and, and all those things. Is that in philosophy? Is that the same thing? That's exactly what it is. And in fact, what you've described is exactly what David Lewis thought it was. Okay. Right. So possible worlds, possible universes. 
in the science fiction sense, is literally what David Lewis is advocating as being the truth. Okay. Whereas other people think, oh, you know, possible worlds are stories people come up with that they imagine as alternative universes, but they're actually actual alternative universes. Whereas David Lewis argued famously, there are. <laughs> For okay. every possibility, there is a universe that exists just like this universe in that it's being concrete and real and it exists. I mean, that's a lot of universes. Any one of us is constantly creating millions of universes a second, right? That's right. In fact, you can actually prove a theorem as to how many there are. <laughs> and it's called uncountably infinite, right? So oh, yeah. you can't even count it. In fact, there are uncountably infinite worlds that are exactly like this one, duplicates of this one. There's that many possible worlds where things look exactly the same as they are in this world. Wow. Okay. <laughs> in the entertainment world, boy, they love that kind of stuff. I mean, that's Rick and Morty and uh, all of your current run of Marvel stuff loves having fun with those multiple universes. Well, it's the idea, not that they exist, but that we can travel between them. I believe the new latest Michelle Yeoh film is that. Correct? Everybody's talking about that movie? Yes. Yes. I have not seen it yet. No spoilers. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. But uh, I hear that everything and everywhere are in it, though. All at once. They're in the title. That's for sure. (laughs) That's what I know about the film. (laughs) I love the idea of a world... Because you know how our world it's like unfolds through time? What if all of the times in our world were smashed up into like two seconds in another world? So all of the events that happened over millions or billions of years? Because there is such a world. Like if this is a possibility, you can actually play with time. So if you have everything everywhere and then you simultaneously scrunch it up into a moment, there's got to be a possible world where that's true. There's, uh, I forgot the name of the band, but movie and music director, video director, Michel Gondry did a video where it's a split screen on, on one side, it's playing forward. It's just following someone through their life. So this woman through her day, another side, it's a different woman going backwards. And at one moment in the middle of the video, their lives intersect. It's just interesting. I wonder if it's possible to make a coherent piece of music that way. Actually, because music's one of these temporal things, right? You like go forward, you go backwards, and then you can also smush things up, right? Well, the smushing together made me think of a particular open culture post that somebody on YouTube or something took all the Beatles songs and laid them on top of each other so they would all end at the same time. Oh, so wow. like it starts off with just the beginning of, I guess, Revolution Number 9, because that's the longest song. And then whatever the second, you know my name, look up the number, or whatever, whatever the second longest song comes in and you hear them playing simultaneously. And then by the time, you know, you get five or six songs in there, it's just a mass of crap. And the last three minutes or five minutes are just complete noise. And so that's when you say, what, awesome. if, what if time were constricted? <laughs> like it would be a bunch of nonsense. It would be something that could not possibly be experienced by anyone. And that maybe is the whole issue with the not just that there are many universes that we could have fun with and travel between, but usually there's some like plot tricks where, well, but this thing can't change. You know, Davy right. has to die. On May 5th, or else the whole yeah. universe explodes. Like, no, no, no literally, right. it's like mathematical sets. Like, that there are, you know, even of this moment, well, let's just say there are infinite numbers of identical sets, and then just go from there. It's actually an interesting insight. Like, we love the idea of thinking about other possible worlds in science fiction, but in all likelihood, if world sliding were to take place, we'd probably end up in a super fucking weird world with, like, time is half time or double time where there is no time and we can't even think of like we wouldn't want to have a series or a film about that i mean maybe if you were being experimental you would but if you wanted to make like a mass popular film everything has to be basically the same structure as our world right basically the same kind of people basically yeah how many just useless worlds 
cats are called dogs and dogs are called cats. But otherwise, is the, otherwise your life is still miserable. This is no fun at all. Here I am hopping from world to world. And oh, in this world, we call red blue and we call blue red. Otherwise, it's identical. It's like, well, this, is, uh, this isn't fun or interesting. I'm still a loser. Yep. Every possible world you've been to. It sounds like this is suggesting some sort of a scene that could be acted out and give insight to the listeners. Very elegant transition, Mark. Uh, 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 Now, Barry, I don't know how much of this show you listen to or other improv you've seen or whatnot, but the idea is just we're just going to pretend to be different people. Oh, wow. For three to five minutes. That's kind of it. And I think a hang up sometimes people have is that they might think about being someone else rather than being someone else. Ooh, talk about multiple universes. I mean, how many characters have we portrayed, Mark? Is each of them? In the, are they still out there? Are their lives continuing even though we haven't stopped doing that scene months no, ago? No, no, because I engineer them all. That as soon as the scene is done, in my imaginative space, there they is a, a, a force, a dark force, the cleansing wind that sweeps them from existence. In fact, they never even happened in the first place. Wow. So just like in our lives, we are just being alive and listening and reacting to what's going on. That's all we need to do in these scenes as well. And typically, often with guests who are less familiar with improv, we'll pick a scenario or a situation that everyone might be familiar with so we can get in more quickly. Is that cool? Yeah. I'm going to apologize ahead of time for maybe not being very good at this. I just love it when it goes well and I watch it. But I also realize (laughs) when you have a complete amateur trying it out, it could just be a disaster. (laughs) You're in good hands. Well, the people that don't want to hear that already stopped listening after episode one when I was that person. So I'll get this thing rolling and I'm really going to silver platter this thing. So don't worry about that. I also have a lesson as well that perhaps we can get to. I'm, I'm making some little changes to it. And, and maybe one we have visited before, but with this topic, I like doing it. I think this will be fun because okay. I think it, it might be apropos. Hey, uh, hey, fellas, uh, we got uh, specials on the on the back of the menu, um, you know, they're, they're there. And uh, you want any drinks or anything? Or Are you okay? I mean... Yeah, yeah, fine, fine. This is, this is how service works here? Welcome to welcome to Gary's Diner, you know? What can I get you? Uh, Barry, do you feel welcome? I feel like this server is trying as hard as he can to help us. And he wants us to look at the drinks in the back. I'm standing so right should, here. So I should just let it right go? Here. So I, I shouldn't give him a hard time? Is that? Yeah, you should give him as hard of a time as he deserves. I think he is trying his hardest, but I'm not Fellas, sure. I'm standing right here. Okay. I'm literally heard everything right, you just let's, said. Let's, uh, let's run him through his paces. First, uh, tell me to the special, this duck thing. What is that? Duck omelet? The domlet? <laughs> yeah, that seems it's, pretty freaking weird. Yeah. The chef thought it'd be funny to do a domlet, okay? And they got a deal on some duck breasts from somewhere, and they just cooked them. It's breakfast. It's breakfast, okay? What do you is want? Is it duck you... eggs, or is it chicken eggs? Chick- chicken eggs. Chicken eggs with chopped up piece of, of, of like... You put chicken eggs, and you put the duck inside the chicken egg. So there's actually two kinds of fowl yeah. in this special. Yeah. You know, three, if you consider our cheese fowl, which I kind of do some days... <laughs> that's good all right you're entertaining the customers now i appreciate your uh pattern is this kind of just i got other tables i got other tables all right not the domlet let's set that aside the, se- the second special here this cheese salad what the, what what does that even mean cheese salad it's like instead of lettuce it's cheese different cheeses so this is like one of those jokes for, for people that 
oh, I'm, on a, I'm on a diet. I see seafood and I eat it like I eat a cheese salad. Is that the idea? People like cheese. You get three or four different kinds of sliced cheese that are torn into leaf-like sizes and piled together with carrot strips and uh, some sliced hard-boiled egg and some ham and uh, choice of dressing, you know? Can I get the dressing on the side or does it have to be tossed in with all the cheeses? You can have it on the side. Everyone, I don't know. When did that happen, huh? When did this whole side dressing thing? It didn't happen I mean, it- when I was a kid. You just got it all in there, right? Is it nacho cheese? Is it nacho cheese dressing? If I dressing? could go back in time, you know what I would do? Invest in a little plastic cup company. That's what I would do. If I go back to 1990, we're going to be making a lot of these little plastic cups. What kind of dressing do you recommend on your cheese salad? Here? Thousand Island. Oh, Thousand Island. Okay, or, so that's what makes it a salad, that it's not just like nacho cheese poured on cheese. Yeah, I mean, we can put probably put nacho cheese on. Fellas, please, just <laughs> what do you, it's a diner, all right? You know what's on the menu. Everyone knows what's on a diner menu. <laughs> I, th- I thought I knew it was on a diner menu. And then I see Domlet and cheese salad. Is Gary the chef? Gary, who's, whose establishment this is? Gary's been dead for like 30 years. All right. And this is just. Oh, that's really sad to hear. Really I never, sad. I never knew the guy. I just, you know, he started this place in the seventies or something. All right. All right. So in the possible world where Gary did not die, do you think he would have put Domlet and cheese salad on your menu? He probably would have put something weird and like semi-racist on the menu. Okay, I mean he's an old guy. Let's just be honest. All right, what, what, what's a, what is a semi-racist food? I don't want to. I don't want to <laughs> go there. I don't want. I'm just saying he was like an old guy. He was an old-fashioned guy. He was like 90 when he when he died. You know, and just so he was. I, I've eaten plenty of racist foods, and I might have even eaten something that Gary made. So I totally understand what you mean. All right, but, thank you, yeah. thank you. Yeah. That one thing that he did with that collard greens, that was not cool. That no. was just, yeah, it was. No. Yeah. Naming the foods would be where you'd get into trouble, right? It's not the foods themselves, or is it? Like, can you, is it cultural appropriation to just be like, I, I don't, <laughs> I can't, I don't, maybe, maybe getting specific is not wise here. He downgraded General So to a colonel. That's what happened. It, it's Colonel So's chicken. He added the little bits of corn in there. We didn't have any broccoli, so he just added corn. Ha ha ha. You know, all right. That actually sounds pretty good. Could you could you whip one of those up, Colonel? So's chicken? No, guys. It's just, look. It's just, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. All right. I don't. This is not how I imagine my life. Okay. Do you want to just sit down? Working out a damn. I can't. They see me sitting down. I've already spent enough. I'm getting evil glances. Getting daggers stared at me from the manager. Can I just come oh, back, Dottie? Dottie over there is the manager. She, she's your boss. Yeah, Dottie's my boss. Can you believe it? What if we order like twice as much food as a normal customer and then you'll be justified in spending twice as much time here? Would that be okay? Hey, Dottie, Dottie, can you come over uh, here? Dottie, um, if we ordered two domelets and a couple of cheese salads, could our friend sit with us and um, take a load off? I'd re- really like to talk to him for a little bit. Well, only if you don't got any more tables. You got, you got any more tables? Yeah, I got uh, two of the. Well, then you, you can't. Two donuts and two cheese salads, really? I can order. I can order another piece of pie. You know they're a, they're a joke. You know that, right? Those things are a joke. Which can one? We order cheese salads. So they're, they're not orderable. You can order them, but it's a joke. You know what? Does that mean that you they don't what? actually serve you, or that it, it's just if you order them, Lance can have his whole break with you? How about that? Is that okay? You order. You, that's your food. Then Lance can sit with you the whole the whole day. Lance, will you will you eat these things? No, I'll watch you guys attempt to eat them. That's fine. 
Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. I got nothing better to do. All right. Imagine a possible world in which we uh, we ordered two of both of those things. Two and then dollars. imagine we could travel to that world here, but the people in that world will have paid for the food. How about that? You guys aren't going to pay for your food? Is that what you're telling me? In this world, you're not going to pay for your food? I'm a, I'm, I'm confused. I'm by the fact that there are domlets in this world and a cheese salad. So I think once you, uh, make that move, all bets are off. Fellas, if you can move between worlds, please take me with you. We did it. We'll stop right there. All right. All right. We'll stop right there. Not bad, Barry. That was fun. Uh, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Well, I mean, yeah. You know, I guess we need to think about by what standard are we judging ourselves and judging our performance? I feel like if we're going to do a David Lewis inspired, we have to be shifting between <laughs> worlds. And then the improver, who's extraordinary, which, who was you, would be adapting to something that's only slightly different in the environment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I like that you made him by calling on a fourth character. That yeah. You made Bill switch. I, I know, Barry. Sure that was, if I was going to yeah. do some sort of terrible flow voice <laughs> um, yeah she was thing and uh so you were saved that thank yeah. you bill that's a reference yeah. that's dying fyi which is exactly is, anything yeah. from the tv show alice you can just mark that off just mark it through right now i would have thought in that particular setting there would have been a lot of kissing of grits <laughs> i make nice grits i'm not gonna lie we got temperate but egg yolks in your grits go go a long way Here's my question, Barry. So there are multiple universes. If there's no way to interact with them, if there's no information we can get from them or get to them, does it have any utility at all beyond plot points for Hollywood movies? They're supposed to. (laughs) Yeah, they're supposed to. They're supposed to be useful. In fact, the whole argument that Lewis makes as to why you should believe in them is that they're useful. (laughs) That is, they're supposed to be useful in the following way. They're supposed to explain what's possible for you here. Like if you think, what are my possibilities? What are the things that are open to me Mm -hmm. to do? The fact that other universes are concrete are supposed to tell you something about that. It's a little abstract as to how they're supposed to tell you something about that. (laughs) And the whole point of Lewis versus his enemies is that other people are like, you don't have to think they're concrete for them to tell you something. And he says, no, you do. That's an ongoing dispute. So I'm not the person to ask about how to resolve that. But the idea is supposed to be the fact that they're concrete is supposed to make a difference in the same way that some people think, hey, what's morality? No, moralities are facts. And you're like, what does that make a difference, whether they're facts or something else? And like, no, it matters. If it's a fact, then there's something that can do for you when you make an argument with somebody. But if they're not facts, they're they're not. Something like that. I guess there's a warm, fuzzy aspect to it. To know that different me actually did achieve the dreams that I have and didn't theoretically achieve them, but actually achieve them. There is another bill somewhere else. Absolutely. Listening to the two of you have a podcast from my Beverly Hills swimming pool, you know, (laughs) and it isn't just an abstraction. It's 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 a true thing. That's right. That's just kind of a warm fuzzy, though, isn't it? So Lewis, though, is exceptional among philosophers who use this kind of talk in Believing in the literal existence That's right. of the possible worlds. And I'm not sure, as you say, it's not obvious from what I've read of him, how much that is actually required. That That's most right. of what you would want to do, and he's not the first guy to talk about this, but the whole idea of uh, modal logic, right? So you can talk about what might be, as you were saying, what the possibilities are right now, or what has to be. That's right, seems, what has to um, be. By talking about possible worlds, by saying, if 
something must be this way. So like you might ask about the law of gravity. Does it have to be that way? One way to ask, is there a possible world in which it is not that way? And we think probably with physical laws, at least we don't know of any like it's merely physical, right? It's not a logical thing. Whereas gravity, both at the same place in the same time, pulling objects up and pulling objects down or something like that, then that is supposed to be a logical impossibility. And so you could say there is no possible world in which that happens. And it turns out if you think of things in that way, that there might be a lot of things or at least some things that seem like logical impossibilities, but actually maybe you could with clever mathematics come up with mm. a scenario or something like that. We don't make that distinction between physical and, lo- and you know, yeah. possibility per person. I want to just say if there's some other word besides possibility simpliciter. Is that where right. Barry? Is there something yeah. wider than logical? No, I mean, I, okay. I don't want to get into that, right? Because there are people <laughs> who think there are impossible worlds and all that stuff. So that's absolutely right. In general, if you start thinking about the distinction between what you can discover versus what you can invent as a human being, right? So if you thought that possibilities and necessities, things that have to be are facts, right? Like these are things that you have to discover. You don't just get to make it up, right? And just decide that this has to be true or that this is a possibility. Modal realism, the idea that there really are these possible worlds, you really do think the actual possibilities are out there. They're facts. Those kinds of facts are discovered and not just made up. And you really are under less pressure if you think that they are just devices of human thinking then, you know, whatever. You think it's possible? Yeah, let's just, we can just invent out what our possibilities are, invent out what the necessities are. Say I went to every bunch of different possible universes, and they were, in my perception, identical to this one. I could tell no difference between all these different universes. And right. I got, you know, I would go to CNN.com and every single one, and it's just like letter for letter identical. Would that mean there's no free will? If it turned out that every possible world was like that, then I think that would be a really good case <laughs> yeah, yeah. to be made. Like, it's actually true that there are all of these other possible worlds that are identical to ours. So long as there are still others that you did something and it changed things around, then you could still have some free will. And again, of course, this goes into the argument of, over what free will is. And you know, a lot of people think, hey, look, there's no possible world in which Jesus wasn't perfect. But Jesus had free will, and you're like, okay, wait. So if every single world that Jesus was in, he does the exact same thing? Yes. And Jesus has free will? Yes. <laughs> in that sense that God has free will? Yes. And you're like, okay, well then, whatever free will is, it must be one of those things where, you know, you could have the exact same thing in every world, and you could still be free. I guess that's what that is. Things that seem like, from an external perspective, that they should be possible, right? You could have gone left rather than right, that if you're a believer in strict causal determinism, It should be the case that given the complete state of the world at time T, then, you know, one second later, that is determined. So there is no possible world, if you're a strict causal determinist, in which T is the way it is, is identical to is now, but T1 is different. And so that should work for all of history. So there really should be, if you don't believe in free will, if you don't believe in any indeterminacy, there should only be one possible world, except if you're talking about different starting conditions. If the starting conditions can be completely different, then of course we could then regenerate infinite possibilities, but it seems the order of infinity would be much lower, right? Because it's only the starting conditions, not that every second we could have an infinite number of possible next steps. No, that's right. And it actually makes my 
Jesus and God thought experiment, the more weirder. And you have to commit yourself to being some kind of compatibilist about free will. Like people do say this about God, right? Would God have made like the super evil universe? No. Right. <laughs> oh, so everything that God does, God will do it exactly that way. Of course. God does exactly the thing that God does in this universe. Oh, so God doesn't have free will. Of course he does. Like if anybody has free will, God has free will. Okay. So what free will is must be the thing in us. That's kind of like the thing in God where like exactly the same thing happens and you choose the exactly the same thing and all the initial conditions. Yeah, but it's still free. So they give some story about that. It, it has to be that way. If you're like a theist or you even like that device talking, cause, cause like theists definitely do not want to say there are all these other gods that did all these other things <laughs> slightly differently. I think there's something that gets used in Hollywood a lot and probably other media, this idea of, uh, yeah, there's other universes, but there are these nexus events. And while most of my day I'm not affecting anyone else, if I sleep on my left side or sleep on my right side, well, there's no alternate universe where I slept on the other side. But there is an alternate universe where I decided to go out for breakfast rather than eat in. And when I went out for breakfast, my presence affected someone else. My presence made someone else on the road late because I wasn't paying attention to Mr. Green Light. But if I decide to eat in, well, I'm not affecting anything. My existence is not banging into the existence of others. So those moments don't matter. Tell that to the Who's down in Whoville, who you stepped on, obliterating their civilization because you decided to stay home. The, the bacteria that was slowly growing on my frozen waffle that was killed when I put it in the toaster rather than I, going yeah, out. I think it's incredibly interesting to think of storytelling constraints on possible world travel or time travel and things where in philosophy, you think there are no constraints because we're looking at all possibilities. They're all worlds or time travel or whatnot. But in order to make a good story, you got to have constraints. If anything can fucking happen, you know, I think like Conan O'Brien complained about this or something. Like if there's a vortex in the movie, I'm out. Yeah. Right. Cause like if there's a vortex, then anything can happen in that movie. Right. And so similarly, if you're like, Oh, possible world travel, right? If every possible thing can happen, why am I interested in this story? Or time travel or whatever. It's right? the Superman trap. And sometimes this happens with superhero movies where it's like, well, if the hero doesn't have a flaw, then there's nothing for them to overcome. And if Superman can do everything, you got to have kryptonite. Without kryptonite, there is no Superman. And sometimes superhero movies, in an effort to be whatever it is they're trying to be, they end up having creating heroes that don't have any flaws. And if they have no flaws, well, then there's nothing compelling for them. I mean, I have an idea for a scene that we could use to illustrate this, but I feel like whatever lesson you were trying to steer us toward in the first scene... Texting you now. I, I am sending you a message now. <laughs> you're not texting me. You're sending it to... The message will arrive to you in text format. It will not be an SMS <laughs> text message. All right, Mark. Does that make sense? As last time. Yeah. Does that make sense? Do you see where I'm going with this? Do you see what the how this is uh, apropos to the topic? All right, guys, if you look at your uh, menu here, you'll see we have a couple specials on the back, and I'd love to serve you today. Can I get you something to drink? Uh, yeah, you can You can relax. We're just, <laughs> just breakfast, man. You don't have to be so excited here. It's fine. Well, I mean, I mean, this is Gary's. This is where the, the fun happens. <laughs> if you're not having fun, I'm not doing my job. And Are you, are you Gary? Uh, no, no, Gary's been dead for, for 30 years, uh, but his brother, Terry, took over, and he, he really uh, ingested a, a sense of fun into this place. If you look at the uh, menu, there's, there's some specials there. There's a, What's it's something with a duck, duck, and there's duck a omelet? cheese, a, a omelet? cheese salad. And I'm just, I'm, just, they really should order these things and please 
try to look a little happier about it. I've, my manager over there is, is hey, giving hey, me some hey, dirty hey, looks. Calm down, you're, calm down, calm down. You're, you're okay. Not, you're okay. Pleased. You're you're okay. All right. Everything's all right. We're we're happy. We're we're plenty happy. We're plenty, okay. We're, okay. we're content. We're content. Okay. So everything's good at home for you. I'm sorry. I shouldn't ask you personal questions. We really need to to get on these these beverages quick. Can I just sit down? Uh, yeah. Sure. Sure. The enforced fun is a bit much, and I'm not sure that any of us are safe. Can you just please order two of everything of these specials, and then I can have an excuse to sit here. Is that okay? Two of every one of these specials. Th- yes. There, there there are 17 specials here. Yes. Well, Terry is is really creative, and if all the specials don't get ordered, then he feels very unappreciated, and he he rather takes it out on on the staff. So, all right. The, hey, 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 hey. Calm down. Just there's can... there's the duck omelet. Uh, did you see that? It has real duck in it. It doesn't have duck eggs. It has chicken eggs. I don't, it doesn't make sense to me either. And there's a, the cheese. Hey, we can see that. We can. You're okay. Okay. You're okay. okay. Hey, it's clear that this job is putting a tremendous amount of stress on you. That is obvious. Yeah. Yeah. Only motivational stress to make me do a, a better job making people happy. Can you imagine a place in which none of this is here, in which this is reduced to fiery rubble, this entire building? Can you make that happen? Is there any chance? Or just call the police. I'll just, I'll have a, I'll have a, an OJ and I'll, I'll have the Domlet. I'll have the Domlet. All right. An OJ and a Dom. Okay, you sir, can I get you uh, three cheese salads? Uh, I'll yes. t- I'll take the, I'll take a cheese salad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. A cheese salad and the the Domlet. The third the third special. It's called Escar Gone because it's like sal- a snail, but it's just a snail shell because the snail is gone. I'm sorry, it's not a good idea. Can you just can you just order a couple of those? I'll even pay you out of my pocket. People eat can- escargot. For the animal, not for the shell. You would think. You would think. But it's kind of like a Happy Meal where the toy, you don't eat the prize, right? You don't eat the toy. So this, it comes with the shell and it's a, a pretty nice. Your kid might, do you have? Yeah, have, I'll take a couple of escargons. Yeah, escargon okay, over there. All right. There. And then at yeah. least you don't, you don't have to eat that because, yeah, the rest of these. All right. This is, uh, this is looking good. Before you go, are you okay? Blink your eyes if you're not okay, man. I, I, I'm not okay at all. None of this is okay. This whole thing, I feel like I just woke up this morning and everything was, what the hell kind of possible world is this, that these specials exist? Yeah, I can't imagine these existing anywhere else. These are ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. So clearly my manager there says they're a joke, but then like she stabs me with with that spatula of hers while she's saying that. So I- You mean Dottie? Yeah. She looks kind of nice. Yeah. We know, we know Dottie. We've been here before. We know Dottie. You're with Dottie? You're yeah, with, I like Dottie. Oh fuck, this is yeah. Um, let's. We're just gonna. We're, we're, I'm gonna go get those specials. Uh, Dottie, we, everything's fine. Everything's fine. The lines were crossed in dealing with these uh, uh, customers. Let's be done with this. Thank you. Good night. Goodbye. Everything's fine. So long. Should we call Dottie over, or do you want to speak to? Do you want to speak to Dottie Barry? Do you want to speak to? <laughs> I would ask Dottie what's going on with her, with her servers. I mean, I think they we seem should to definitely be kind ask. Of scared. I think we should. I think we should. Hi, friends. <laughs> <laughs> okay okay yay awesome awesome we just wanted to do that to you mark all right we just wanted to torture you so you sweat a little bit uh so should we tell the audience the direction you gave me well i think it, i hope it's fairly obvious barry can you guess what the what the direction was was it the inverse possible world so you have the opposite mood of the last server the inverse possibility was optional but it was simply put us in the same world try to start with the exact same line 
exact same line of dialogue. Use the same line with a, but with a different emotion. So what makes worlds different? That's my question. Is you know, it's, it's easy to think. Well, in this world, like even in my examples earlier, they were very like, oh, I did this. Right, you know, I turned left rather than turn right. I had breakfast out rather than breakfast at home. But maybe what these makes these worlds different is our emotions, or we can see that by changing our emotions, we drastically change the realities in those worlds. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, definitely a sufficient condition for being in a different world. That's, I'm going to name my modal jazz combo sufficient condition. <laughs> I think that's fantastic. <laughs> so a possible world with like, imagine everything is exactly the same, but we're not having a good time. We're all still saying the same things, but we all have a deep anxiety. That's the only difference. It doesn't show up in behavior whatsoever. Would that be a, the emotional difference is sufficient, even if it involves no change whatsoever in behavior? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely would be a difference. It would be a difference in fact. And, you know, the funny thing is, is that even if there is no difference in any other fact, even in mood, you can still have a difference in possible worlds. And early on, David Lewis had to think about what does that mean? Like, how do you differentiate? The only thing he came up with was as long as it's, what is it, space-time separated? Just by saying it's a different world, it counts as a different world. It just has to be in a different time and space. That's it. Sure. So you can duplicate things and still be in different worlds. Two things. One thing is that when people get into improv or get into the arts, often they think of story or children, like children's stories. They're just very, this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. And it's very devoid of personality. You know, Dick and Jane, see Dick run, you know, high spot, spot the dog, spot, you know, spot chases Jane. But as people get more sophisticated through childhood, suddenly you have things like good and evil. But good is always good and evil is always, you know, Elmo is as pure as the driven snow. But then you start getting into more complicated things like, well, to keep the Sesame Street idea that Oscar's a grouch. Is Oscar bad? Is Oscar good? Oscar's a grouch. These things get more sophisticated. And the same thing happens with improvisers. When I'm, you know, teaching improvisers at first, it's very like, well, what happens next? Well, what happens next? And eventually they get to a place where it's who is happening becomes more important and more interesting and more compelling. And if we think about our improv scenes, not as collection of the events can be the same in two different scenes, but what gives the scene its uniqueness is who these events are happening to. Interesting. And so Barry, just, how was your Barry in the second scene different than your Barry in the no, first I, scene? I didn't have I didn't have anything in, in me in the second scene. I didn't what? have cur- Colonel So's chicken. General So's <laughs> oh, chicken. Oh, we missed that. We missed that. that. Yes. <laughs> we missed yes, Major yeah. So's chicken or yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. I was sucking enough air out of the room in that second scene that there was not a lot of room for <laughs> I would really love to, you know, like I don't even know the basics. The only thing I know about improv is yes and. I'm sure there's other rules <laughs> of improv. That, hey, guidepost, but Mark, what was the, the lesson for episode one? We're always already improvising. You're talking. You didn't write down what you were going to say here beforehand. So you are improvising. You're being the Barry who's in this possible world, in the actual world that's being engaged by us right now. You didn't have to come on here, but now you're saying all these things with your mouth that you wouldn't have been saying. Right. <laughs> if you don't have a goal of you have to be funny, then that makes it easier. Well, again, then we have to ask what is humor and how, how is humor derived? And that's all. I mean, philosophy, that's a big thing. Sometimes we think about alternate universes. Well, in this universe, you turn left rather than right. But some of those universes, like if I turn left rather than right 30 years ago, that other universe is probably unrecognizable. Absolutely. Yeah. That's just, it's just that's gone. Right. It's not like, this one little, ch- you know, it's just like I couldn't substitute for myself in that in that world anymore. Yeah, you know, at no, what that, point do these right. different realities spin away from each other, 
at such you know velocities to be unrecognizable as analogs. What you're describing is one of the things that um, Lewis talked about, distance between worlds. How far is this world from this other world? And really, that's a feature of how different is this world from another world? And at a certain point, you can't really measure that, right? Because that one choice you made 30 years ago was very close to this world because it was just one choice. But it turns out that that world is drastically different. I mean, I could have been that that choice is what led to the pandemic. And then another thing it might be, what if it turned out that two worlds look very, very similar, but 30 years ago, 50 choices were made that were so different, but that's actually what canceled out all the other choices and then like ended up in a world that looked very, very similar. Like, are those worlds significantly different? Or, are they or what close? if there's an aggregate of choices that keep all these worlds similar enough? That's right. And even though I may have turned left rather than turned right, someone else turned right rather than left. And as an aggregate, all of our choices together end up putting us about where we are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, a lot of the existentialists and Chekhov, like all these fatalistic plays, like play on that, right? Like fatalism is this idea that no matter what you do, you have, it made stronger than determinism, right? Because determinism is you do something, something will follow and it necessarily follows. But with fatalism, whatever you do, it could be like 10 different things. You're going to end up in the same location at the very end. There was a famous Twilight Zone episode of some guy who was going to go back in time and shoot Hitler. And he rented a hotel room across, you know, like 1932 or somewhere, you know, early date, rented a hotel room where he was giving a speech, you know, and was going to had a rifle, was going to shoot him out the window. And as he's getting ready to shoot out the window, it's like room service. Huh? He's like knock at the door or a tree branch, because there's all these weird things that happen that prevent, you know, it's almost like time won't allow itself to be changed. And even though he gets close to shooting Hitler, just a strange event, you know, a moving van parks right in front of his window or something like, oh, come on, you know, like, try as you might, you can't change it. Yeah, I opened the David Lewis series, not about possible worlds, but about David Lewis on time travel. And so he had this view about time travel that aligns perfectly with what it is that you described, right? So David Lewis's view is that history happened. So if you time traveled, you are already part of that history that you traveled back into, right? No changes can occur precisely because, well, if there were, you would have changed it already and it would have been part of that history. So he really had that, what he called the four-dimensional view, right? The view that history is completely fixed. If it happened, it happened. So that time I, oh, I forgot my keys. I didn't go back to the house. Me going back to the house prevented a time traveler from making their, you know, to me, it's just, oh, nuts. I got to go back and do something. But the universe needed me to do that to prevent a time traveler from carrying out some whatever. Well, and speaking of the existentialists, that one of the, the things that, according to an existentialist like Sartre, that we're liable to do is to see other people and see ourselves as just things in themselves, as determined, so that we project as even though it seems like you could have made different decisions, you could have been a different person. We're unable to actually see ourselves or anybody else that way. We're unable to actually conceive of real possibility, or at least it is a very common trap for us to fall into as to just like, that's the kind of person you are. That's the kind of person I am. I, I am a coward. I will always be a coward to use one of his examples. And some sort of radical therapy, I guess, would be required <laughs> to, to break those habits. Was Sartre talking about himself or you? He's talking about me specifically. <laughs> okay. All right. And they said that you were, I am a coward. Okay. I followed your direction in the scene. Can you say a little more? Should we guess? 
Well, I kind of I kind of spilled the okay. beans a little bit earlier. Right. This whole idea of of alternate universes, we think about it as actions that we did and kind of deny ourselves our emotional life okay. and how not only that, it's well, what did I do to create an alternate universe? It's like maybe someone else created the alternate universe. And just thinking about these things a bit more holistically, holistically, rather than some seemingly flip of a coin action, as opposed to a personality or an emotion or a feeling or how that can really affect people. You know, me turning right rather than left may not affect people so much as me going into a coffee shop as just in a real foul mood and really setting off somebody else. You know, the things that really stick with us in our day. Yeah, actions happen. You know, someone doesn't turn on the green arrow and we all come on man you got to turn on the green arrow but i think what the things that really stick with us are how our interactions with other people and what we think about at night is that man why was david such a douchebag today oh my i just wanted to you know those are the things that really affect our lives perhaps more than so so would you say that if you had a choice to switch to any other parallel universe at the time the ones you would most consider are the ones where you're different as a person in a scenario rather than You've done something different. Hey, I'm different and do something different. I think we're bumping up against uh, free will here again. You know, am I a collection of all of everything up until now? Uh, even even well, my emotional choices? You know, do I have no choice as to who I am? Or, or I think of characters as strictly costly determined because your direction was use the same starting line with a different emotion. And I think from what you're saying that ideally it would have just been the situation is the same but this server's attitude is different. And how does that cause a difference in dynamics among the people? Whereas I felt the need of like, why do I have this different emotion? Well, it's because there was a past event of Terry taking over from Gary that created some sort of <laughs> you did totalitarian fear-based restaurant of enforced cheerfulness restaurant environment, which is not the same. It is worlds away from merely a different emotion. You did fine, but that's just it. The emotion was the doorway Mm -hmm. to that world. It's almost like we can't go through that door without going into another world. And if we're in a room and every, every, there's, you know, 10 doors and each door is a different emotion, as much as we like to think they all might lead to the same room, they're going to lead to different rooms. And I think it's just, again, it's a real powerful thing. And I just think sometimes, sometimes it gets poo-pooed a little bit, but like, you put on that emotion and it radically changed you. And if you'd put on a different emotion, it would have gone to a very different place. That's that. You did fine. That was great. A plus. So in terms of the... A, uh, A, A. <laughs> in terms of the uh, philosophy lesson. So, you know, we said we were going to, in general, talk about this area. I guess the point that I wanted to uncover, which we, as a sort of refreshing surprise from Barry, usually when you introduce possible worlds in a philosophical context, I out of the gate said, this is not like the multiverse. It's just that David Lewis was a realist about possible worlds. (laughs) And so he was a weirdo. So he actually did believe something like the multiverse. Whereas every other context, you know, every other person, uh, it it is merely, at least in the modern, like if we go back to Leibniz or something, you know, the guy who was talking about God would only create the best possible world. So there is only one world and it's the one that God made, right? And it is because he's perfectly good. He would only do. So if anything that looks like a flaw, it's because like it's the best possible mosaic. And if you'd fixed that one thing, then something else would have been crappy, right? If you had not had that problem with your car that you think is such a bummer, then you wouldn't have been able to stop the time traveler from 
killing Hitler and right, things sure. would have been yeah, yeah. much worse. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a Stephen King JFK time traveling book yeah. about that where like because JFK lived, then Nixon got in early and Agnew was president <laughs> and the World War Three happened and it was just, it was all crap. So Barry, what do you take seriously as actually interesting and, and evocative, this realist position, or is it just the nominalism, which lets you talk, for instance, about, I talked about, could we have the, exactly the same behavior, but different emotions? That's the kind of thing that philosophers like Kripke, another guy that would reflect on, or, or, or Putnam, to talk about metaphysical necessity. Like, minds are brains for us, for sure. Do minds have to be brains? Like, that is something that you could use possible worlds to think about. Like, if we're made up of very different stuff, could we still have the same emotion over there? You could ask questions like that. But none of that requires the literal existence of possible worlds. So what do you think, Barry? Yeah, I got to say, I'm not different from most other people who teach philosophy about this, which is that these are devices for thinking about possibilities and not actual. You know, that being said, there is something to the idea that possibilities are a matter of fact, not a matter of invention. That's something that I find compelling. Now, do you really need to be a realist about possible worlds to do that? Probably not, but I'm not a metaphysician. I don't know. I don't have that worked out. It's a lot easier to be a realist. And also, if you were inclined to think that possibilities and necessities were a matter of fact, not human invention, then you have less to do in your metaphysics. But really, yeah, at the end of the day, you know, common sense reigns supreme for me. I do think the way Putnam and, and Kripke think about possible world, they are devices for thinking and not actual things. We usually have the guest sort of decide, be the judge, whether the philosophy lesson or the improv lesson was more, I don't want to say profound. I don't want to, I don't want to stack the deck in any way. How would you describe it, Bill? What is, uh, what is the criteria? Impactful? Impactful. What will you carry away? What will you think about before you go to bed at night? Well, I'm probably going to think about the improv lesson because I don't get a lot of improv lessons. Fair enough. <laughs> so I'll probably think a lot more about that. I'd be curious what the listener thinks about it. Yeah. All right. What about you, Bill? Do you feel like you came away from this discussion of possible worlds thinking about this thing that's already in the popular culture in a, in a significantly different way? A little bit. I still have one question that went unanswered. And if I get a very brief answer, sure. what problem does possible worlds solve? Why even go there? Is there something issue that's occurring that, well, we need this solution? Yeah, it's a complicated answer. There is no problem possible world solves that you couldn't solve with something else. <laughs> what is it a solution to? It's a solution to unclear and messed up thinking about what possibilities are. Okay. Yep. If you're asking about free will, which is obviously, you know, unless you think all philosophy is bullshit, then <laughs> that's a pretty useful one to think about. That's a heavy one. But that impacts right there on, like, you can put that in terms of modality. You can say, is it possible that you would have made this decision rather than the one that you actually did? So that is a, instead of asking directly about your psychology, you can ask about the metaphysics of it. Yeah. And you can say, like, is a scientific law like gravity, is it somehow necessary? Could there be even some portion of our universe, maybe inside a star or something like that, where gravity doesn't work that way? The laws of nature are different. And so these are, you know, interact with scientific questions in interesting ways, I think. This is not a perfectly short answer, but if you think about questions like, what would have happened if the lockdowns were done two weeks prior 
in 2020 or if there was no lockdown during this or that or the other. And there was a time where thinking about and arguing about those questions looked like pre-modern scientific doctors arguing about, uh, yeah, arguing about counterfactual. Yeah. The people talking about counterfactuals and what the middle of the 20th century with Lewis and Kripke brought was the right way to think about it is to compare two worlds and the set of facts that you would list in those two worlds, right? And then draw out the logical consequences from those particular kinds of facts, right? And just thinking about it that way at least clears things up. Totally. You can have equations. Yeah. You, can, oh, you right. can do proofs. You can yeah, that's right. draw things in cool symbols. Well, that's cool. All right. Philosophy one. Now that I have that answered. All right. But Barry is the boss on this one. So improv. This is, <laughs> this is column improv. Thank you, Barry, for joining us. Thank you, guys. It was a lot of fun. I sure learned a lot from you guys today. And I learned a lot from, from y'all, too. And, and scene. scene. Hey folks, hope you liked the episode. Make sure you're subscribed to Philosophy vs. Improv at philosophyimprov.com. If you like the show, we're still very much drumming for paid supporters through patreon.com slash philosophyimprov. You'll find if you sign up there that in addition to extra talking for all our regular episodes, like we go on with Barry here for another 15 minutes or so talking about his podcast, about philosophy podcasting, about philosophy and popular culture. There are also bonus recordings up there. We so far have two discussions that we did on my new Philosophy 14's book, and we were about to record one on Bill's book, The Complete Improviser. And I think we're going to continue to do that to give something extra special for the supporters going forward. Now, I do have good news in that you may have heard on this episode some commercials that are not me talking, that our podcast host got bought by somebody or bought somebody anyway, they have the ability to auto-inject advertisements, which if we turn that on, does give us some support for doing this podcast, even without the ads we get from our regular ad provider that I would be reading myself. So this means that season two is in the planning stages. It will happen starting in September. But those ads that are auto-injected are extra irritating. And so I don't think you want to hear them. I think that is all the better reason for you to sign up at patreon.com slash philosophy improv, or you can pay directly through Apple podcasts. Either of those will get you the ad free feed, but really, however you listen to it, we are just profoundly grateful that you are interested enough to actually listen to this show. Thank you for your interest, for your support. So long. Maybe I